From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Tuesday, March 8th. Rural Utah now has more than its scenery to attract big film productions to the area. For the next two years, they have a new financial tool. There's a lot of ways that we help to stimulate the economy throughout the state, and we we put a lot of public money into uh, incentivizing all kinds of uh, growth. And this bill here, we do it with other people's money. That's State Senator Ron Winterton presenting SB 49 on the Senate floor. The bill passed the State House during the last days of the legislative session. Now, for the next two years, film productions can receive essentially a rebate if they produce 75% of their project in a rural county. I think that we're going to get a lot of work out of it. Um, you know, it's yet to be proven, and I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that legislators are giving us a chance to, to prove this over the next two years. Jeff Johnson is the president of the Motion Picture Association of Utah. His organization commissioned a study analyzing the economic impact of the state's current film incentives. That study found Utah has lost out on significant revenue to other states with more competitive film incentives. Yeah, I mean, we compete with Montana and New Mexico. They both have very good tax incentive programs. I mean, if you want to compare, for the bill, we had $8.1 million ongoing in our tax incentive bill, and New Mexico has over $100 million in their tax incentive bill. So it helps us compete, and we don't have to do as much as other states in order to compete. Utah doesn't have to do as much, Johnson says, because of its scenery and well-established local film crews and industry. The Moab to Monument Valley Film Commission in particular is the longest running in the world. But there is one particular production that says they need a little more. One that the state's film industry and many elected officials really want for rural Utah. Here's Winterton again on the Senate floor. We do have a producer that's waiting to see whether or not we're going to believe in in him and uh, his productions. And he wants to do five films here in the state, and it's all conditioned upon whether or not we have faith in, in what he's wanting to do. That producer is Kevin Costner, who wants to bring a Civil War-era epic to rural Utah. According to Moab's local film commissioner, shooting here was contingent on the passage of SB 49. The actor was in Grand County late last month to meet with elected officials and business people to find empty warehouse space for his production. Johnson says Costner's project will have an immediate impact, and he's hoping for more. You know, Kevin Costner's going to spend a lot of money. I'm hoping, and I, I, this is just hope, I don't have any I, I don't have any data suggesting it will happen. I'm hoping that we can get another series, another big series into town that will be shooting in rural Utah. During the legislative session, not everyone was convinced that more film incentives would bring meaningful economic development to the state. There are plenty of studies analyzing their performance on job growth and wages. A 2018 study concluded film incentives have no measurable effect on either sector. A 2019 study on corporate tax incentives in the entertainment industry urged states to use caution when applying them. We've seen, really since the early 2000s, a dramatic race to the bottom when it comes to states competing against each other to try to woo film productions with ever-increasing and ever-richer benefits. Representative Timothy Hawks. 
he pointed out that several states have severely reduced or even eliminated their film incentive programs in recent years. Experts who aren't funded by the Motion Picture Association of America, those experts routinely find little measurable benefit to economic development. Where they do see benefits, they tend to be transitory. In other words, a film production moves into a place and that does benefit that local economy, but then they move right back out. So there's not a lasting economic benefit. But Johnson says it would be a jolt to the local economy, especially in a place like Moab or Kanab. You know, the one thing that people don't realize is film incentives is actually to help bring films into a particular region. So basically, um, that does work. If, if you give some kind of incentive, you are able to get films. And what those films do is they drop a lot of money in particular areas. So a big movie could drop anywhere from 20 to $100 million. A smaller movie can drop a few million dollars into one of those areas. In SB49's case, it's going to help drop money into rural Utah, into places that really need it. The bill's incentives for rural Utah sunset in 2024. So the legislation, like Johnson says, has two years to prove itself out. For more on SB 49, visit the show notes of today's news. Reverberations from Russia's invasion of Ukraine are being felt around the world, even in the rural West. KOTO's Matt Hoish spoke with rural Coloradans from Ukraine and Russia about the invasion and what it's like being far from home as war continues. For a lot of people in the Telluride region, the Russian invasion of Ukraine might feel like a distant news story. But for Lena Demura, it's personal. So I have two aunts, I have two grandmas, I have my cousins, I have a lot of my friends that I grew up with, they're still in Ukraine. Demura was born in Ukraine and has lived in the Telluride area for a little over a decade. As recently as late February, she was planning to visit her family over off-season. But then, things shifted. I came to work and I called my sister just to check on her, just because I've heard things were escalating in my country. And I just wanted to see how she's doing, how she's coping, how she's feeling. And it was the first time that I actually heard a fear in her voice, that she felt like she was alone because I wasn't there, my parents weren't there. Although she lived in the neighborhood with my aunts and my grandmas, like she wasn't physically alone or technically alone, but that's this is how she felt. And then, um, so that was a little hard. And then I, <laughs> sorry, I called my aunt and she was just, she was telling me that I'm probably not going to see them. Anytime soon, and it was she was she was scared for her life, and she wasn't sure whether they will be able to make a life after this conflict. And things haven't even started. That was shortly before Russian troops entered the country. Her sister, she says, managed to get out on a train and meet up with her parents in Prague, but her other family members are still in Ukraine, praying, she says, they won't be hit by a missile. Demure also knows people fighting to protect the country. My uncle right now, he's currently just protecting the major plant in my city. He's doing like, I think, 12-hour shifts, so he's not necessarily in the front line. But I do have a friend in the trenches right now in Kiev. Other locals also have connections to the conflict. Victoria Petrova was born in Ukraine and moved to Russia when she was two. Her father is Russian and her mother is Ukrainian. 
She came to Telluride about two years ago after marrying her wife, who she met in Moscow. She was teaching English, and I was learning English, so. <laughs> Petrova says she couldn't believe a war would happen until the last minute when Russia invaded Ukraine. They're literally trying to ask, fight like brother against brother, you know, and it's crazy. Petrova has families in both countries. She's against the war, but says one of her cousins in Russia isn't. She thinks like Ukrainians are lying about war. She doesn't believe it. But again, she's one of those people who's watching TV and believes that Putin is right. So I have like one side of the family is like trusting Putin and another side of the family who's like escaping from Ukraine because it's a hell there, you know, so it's kind of, it's weird. Another Telluride local who moved to the area from Russia has concerns about loved ones still in the country and asked to remain anonymous. So I'll call them Sam. Sam is against the war and says they see similarities with Germany's invasion of Poland in 1939. Most of the people they're in touch with in Russia are also against the war, but some people close to them they know are for it. Sam decided to watch some Russian TV news to see what those people are seeing. They say, quote, Honestly, it was incredible. It was a level of German Joseph Goebbels propaganda, referring to the Nazi minister of propaganda. They say the coverage is mostly old recordings out of context. Sam explains they're ashamed to have a Russian passport but adds they feel this is not the people of Russia's war. Rather, it's the war of Russian President Vladimir Putin. Petrova says she feels hate from people for her being Russian, even though she was born in Ukraine and is against the war. Even like my mom was telling me, like, Bika, please don't tell anybody that you're Russian because, like, it can be scary. For Petrova, being in Telluride while all this is happening is hard. I don't know how to help people here in Telluride. Like, I know, like, lots of Ukrainians gets really angry of, like, reposting something and, like, it doesn't help much, all this repost and, like, yes, we support, we stand for Ukraine. It doesn't help because it's just, like, social media. But I just feel a little bit helpless. I feel safe because nothing's happening here. But I feel helpless that I, I can't help. For Demura, it's also hard being in Telluride right now. I would rather be there in the middle of this thing and try to contribute my time to the military or protect the wounded or help them and just sitting over here and not knowing to what my family is going to wake up the next day. A lot of people say Telluride, isolated in the San Juan Mountains, is a bubble. But in our increasingly interconnected world, nowhere is truly a bubble. I'm Matt Hoish. This piece is from our partners at KOTO in Telluride, Colorado. And that's the KZMU News for Tuesday, March 8th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.